All right. Good morning or good afternoon, everyone. Um, welcome to Second Service. Um, it's just always a privilege to be able to share God's word with you guys. And today we're in Philippians. And before we start, uh, you know, getting into the text, I wanted to share a story. About 10, 15 years ago, <clears throat> my friends and I, we decided to make a bike trip, right? We went from UCI to uh, UC San Diego. It was about uh, 85 miles or so. And uh, <clears throat> we had no prior training. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. Uh, we didn't have the right gear. In fact, uh, we later found out that you were supposed to ride road bikes, uh, which had a thinner frame, uh, a thinner tire, no grooves. It was smooth on the tire so that you can actually kind of slide, there's less friction from the ground, and you can, it's almost like WD-40, you're just kind of sliding through. Uh, we didn't know that, so we had mountain bikes. Uh, mountain bikes are a lot heavier, they're thicker tires, they have grooves in the entire tire so that it just grabs a hold. It's for, for, it's for mountains, right? So you don't fall off the mountain, things like that. So we had mountain bikes that were just, it's supposed to be maybe like 10, 15 times more effort, you know, as you're, as you're biking. So we decided to go on this crazy trip, and when we were telling our friends, uh, I had a lot of people tell me, or a lot of people that were worried about me. You know, I think it was because of my slender build at the time, and uh, they were like, are you sure you want to do this? And they were kind of concerned, and they're like, we might have to pick him up halfway along the trip. And I was offended, right? I was in pretty good shape. I played basketball, you know, three, four times a week, you know, a lot of hours, and I was like, yeah, of course I can do it. But the story is not about me, right? There's this friend that we had that came with us. And he, of all people, was the one that you need to be concerned about. Because his daily routine at that time was to eat, go to work, eat some more, come back and eat, eat some dessert, and then go to bed. That was his routine for the day. And you could say after college, he had put on a, a few pounds, and of all people, he was the one that you really need to be careful of, to be concerned about. And so this guy, let's just say his name was Kevin. It might be his real name or not. I don't know. But Kevin, right, so he was struggling. And I knew that this was going to be a problem because 20 minutes into our eight-mile bike ride, he starts cramping. And we're like, dude, why don't you just go back to the apartment where we came from so that you can just rest? You know, we don't want to kind of have to tend to you afterwards. But he was like, no, 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 no. And he said, I'm going to press on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of this. I'm going to do this. We said, all right, all right, all right, come with us. And so the first hour, it was, it was okay. You know, he was hanging in there, and then we get to PCH, and then you just go straight down PCH. And he was okay until we hit our first of uh, about 15 hills, right? The hill, and every hill was the same, right? So we'd start, and then you go down first, and we're going down, and and he's just whizzing past us, right? He's just like, because he has a little more weight, so he more, more <laughs> momentum, and he's going down. And he's like, later, and he's going down, passing us up. And then when he gets to the bottom and the momentum ends, you hear this. And if you don't know what that is, that's the gear shifting to the highest gear so that he can you know, have the easiest time to pedal. And so when you're doing that, you're not really going anywhere. And that was the time when all of our friends, we would kind of catch up and pass him by. And so the first couple hills, you know, we would pass him by and then 
we're, we're biking, and then we kind of lose him. We don't see him anymore. So we kind of felt bad, and so we slow down. We still don't see him, and so we had stopped. We stop, and then finally in the distance, we see him coming. We wait for him to come, and we feel bad, so we give him a little bit of time to rest. And then we say, okay, let's go. Now, by the second or third time, we realized that when we would say, hey, let's go, he would not get up. He would just be on the floor like, oh, five more minutes. And so we said, okay, from now on, as we see him coming from the distance, as he's about 20, 30 yards, all of us started getting on our bikes and we just left so that he wouldn't have a time to take a break and he would just keep plodding along. Right? And so we did this. You know, it should have been like a five-hour trip. It ended up taking us about eight hours. And it was nighttime. And he finished. And what was most impressive about him to me was that he was he didn't give up, right? He pressed on, and despite fatigue, uh, despite cramping, despite uh, discouragement from us, you know, discouraging him, he was straining forward. There was nothing that was going to keep him from finishing this race. And, you know, I think a lot of us, we kind of resonate that. We understand that. We either, in our lives, we've experienced situations where we've just pressed on, we've strained forward, we've given all that we had at all costs, or we know of people who through extraordinary situations, they've pressed on and accomplished great goals, right? And what we see, the reason why I share the story is because this is where we find the Apostle Paul. He's in jail. He's discouraged in many ways. People are telling him to give up the faith. And yet, here we see him in this passage pressing on. He's straining forward. He's not willing to give up. And we see this in the first couple of verses, verse 12 through 14. He says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the two key phrases that we see is that the Apostle Paul is pressing on, that he's straining forward. What that means is that his situation was not easy, that it was going to be difficult, that it was going to require discipline and training and a will to overcome these hardships. And yet he was willing to strain forward. It's a, it required a singular focus of this goal, to pursue this goal. And for us, it's straining forward is like the contemporary uh, notion of grinding it out, right? You know, no matter how difficult it is, you're grinding it out, making sure you finish and accomplish the task in front of you. And, you know, when you hear this, man, it, it sounds difficult. Sometimes it could be boring because you have to discipline yourself and train yourself over and over and over again. But when Paul is saying this, he is passionate about this. You know, in verse 14, he says, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He calls this an upward call, meaning he saw this as the highest pursuit that anyone could have in their lives. That there was no greater purpose than to pursue and press on towards this call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what is that call, right? It's one thing for us to say, I'm passionate about this, or I want to press on towards this, but what we're pressing on towards, what we're straining forward towards is very important, right? And when we see it here in Paul, we get a hint of it in verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained all this 
or I'm already made perfect. Now, what is he talking about when he says, I've already obtained, I have not yet obtained this? Well, we look at the verses prior to see what he's talking about. Verse 10 and 11, that I may know, that's bolded, him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So the two things that the Apostle Paul is pressing on towards is knowing Jesus Christ and becoming like him. Right? These are the two things that he's singularly focused on, knowing Jesus and becoming like him, right? even to his death. Now, I want to elaborate on these two points. Now, the first part is that he sees the upward call as knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus fully. And when we say knowing Jesus, it's not just knowing about Jesus, right? It's not just facts about Jesus. It's not knowing, uh, memorizing John 3.16 or being able to clearly understand the Trinity or whatever it is in the Bible. But knowing Jesus fully is to know John 3.16, is to understand clearly what the Trinity is talking about, to know facts and information about him in a way that it affects our reality, in a way that it affects our affections for Jesus, in a way that it builds our relationship with him, how the truth impacts us to pursue a relationship, a love relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what he is pursuing, to know Jesus Christ fully in this relationship. So, you know, I think as a believer, you know, once you are saved, we embark on this journey to know Jesus Christ fully. So imagine this. You know, if, for those of you who are married, if you, you know that the wedding day is not the culmination of your marriage, right? Uh, I hope it's not. It's a very distorted view of marriage. You know, if you think that the wedding day is all, it's the best thing that could happen in your whole entire marriage, then it's a very distorted view, okay? Because the wedding is the covenant, and from then on, you're building this relationship with your spouse. And it's a growing relationship. And that's what you are to pursue, this growing relationship with your spouse. You know, my wife and I, we've been together, or we've been married for only six years now. And she says to me all the time, I know you like the back of my hand. And it's amazing because she knows where I misplace all my things, right? So I'm always, like, I could be at home looking around. I can't find it. I'll call her at work and say, hey, where is this? I can't find it. And she'll know exactly where it is. But the crazier thing is she knows where they are even when she hasn't seen me place it. Like, she knows where I might have placed it or I would have placed it, right? And, and I'm like, oh, my, this is so crazy. But it's a product of us knowing one another and growing together in relationship. And, you know, as we grow on in more 60 more years, she's going to have even more superpowers about knowing me, right? And it's the same way. You know, if we think that accepting Jesus Christ and receiving him at that moment, we think that's the culmination of our relationship with Jesus Christ is very distorted. Because our marriage, our covenant with Jesus Christ that's made at that moment begins this lifelong journey of knowing Jesus Christ and growing in him. And I want you to understand what a privilege this is. You know, he calls this this upward call. I want you to understand what a privilege and opportunity is for us to get to know Jesus deeply. Right? Because if, even if you look at from the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, they had an opportunity to know Jesus Christ fully, right? 
God literally walked with them in the garden, Scripture says. And yet, because of their sin, that relationship was broken. Now, we move forward to Moses, right? Moses had an opportunity to see Jesus Christ as in the burning bush scene. And what God tells him is, hey, turn your face away because if you see me, you're going to die. And so Jesus walks by him as Moses turns his face away because the holiness and righteousness of God is so powerful, right? It's so holy. Fast forward further, and when God calls Israelites to make a tabernacle, there's a high priest that's allowed to go into the tabernacle once a year, and he's allowed to meet with God. But they had to tie a rope around his waist so that if he were to do something inappropriate and accidentally die or that God kills him because of his holiness, they would have a rope to pull him out. You see how holy God is. And yet he's revealed himself to the people of the Old Testament in little bits and pieces. And what we see now is through the person of Jesus Christ now in the New Testament, he comes down in the form of man so that we could fully know him. Man, what a privilege that is that God the holy God of the entire universe would come down in human form to humble himself. Remember in Philippians 2, that he would empty himself so that he would be with his people. It's a privilege, right? And on, on top of that, that he would die on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven, so that we would have this perfect relationship with him, so that we could walk with him. This is the relationship the upward call that Paul understands and that he pursues because he understands the privilege that comes with knowing Jesus Christ. King David, if you remember in the Old Testament, he had everything, right? He was the king. He had all the kingdoms and everything he could possibly want. And this is what he says in Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's, that's what he understood, that despite all that he had, there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. And this is the calling that he has for us. Secondly, Paul sees the upward call not just as pursuing and knowing Jesus Christ, but becoming like him, right? He says in verse 11 that he wants to become like him even in his death. That's how serious he is about wanting to become like Jesus. And when he says becoming like Jesus, he's not saying I want to be God so that I can be all-powerful and all-knowing and all that. But he's saying I want to know the heart of Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. I want to be humble as he is humble. I want to be loving as he is loving. I want to care for others as he cares for others. He wants to have the heart of Jesus Christ. You know, as people watch your guys' life and they see the way you interact with people, your coworkers, your boss, the, the way you pray, the way you are hopeful, and all these things, for them to see Christ, that is Paul's desire, that you would imitate Jesus Christ and become like him. And so he pursues this because he knows what a privilege it is to become like Jesus Christ, that God himself has, you know, Without Jesus Christ, we have no opportunity to become like him, right? Because of our sinfulness, because all our thoughts and ideas turn to sin. And yet, because of his death and resurrection, he's given us a new life. And not only that, through the Holy Spirit, he's given us a counselor that helps us along the way to encourage us, to 
teach us, to guide us, to empower us, to live and walk in this new life. This is the privilege that he gives us in this new life. And so Paul's saying, pursue becoming like Jesus Christ. And this is an exhortation that he gives to us, an encouragement, right? What we see in verse 15 and 17. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says to think in a mature way, to know Jesus more deeply in fellowship and relationship with him, to pursue him and to become like him, to imitate us as we're imitating him and to become more and more like Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I pursue these things and he exhorts all of us, the church of Philippi and our church, to become like Jesus Christ, to pursue a single-minded relationship with him. But as we look at, look at this passage, it's not just an encouragement. It's not just an exhortation. It's actually a warning as well. Look at the following verses in verse 18. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory and their shame with mindset on earthly things. So the key is this mindset on earthly things, right? He says there's a, a group of people in the church that have their mindset on earthly things. The glory and their shame, which, is, which means that they're sinning and they don't care and they celebrate it and they post it on Instagram, whatever it might be. Their God is their belly. All they care about is what they eat and how they can indulge themselves. And just to give you a little background of what's going on here, in Philippi, Philippi was a colony, right? Colony of Rome, the great empire. And Philippi had a very favorable relationship with Rome. In fact, a lot of the retired generals and captains and soldiers would retire in Philippi because it was such a nice place. And so you can imagine this city filled with people who are retired, who have fought these hard battles. And now, as people who are retired, what are they interested in? They're thinking, you know what? I've already fought the battles. I've had those situations where I had to grind things out. It was difficult. Now, in my retirement life, I'm just going to live it up. I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to indulge myself and eat whatever I want. It's a very promiscuous culture. I'm going to sleep with whoever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want. And it was all about the self now because you have committed your faithful obligation to the, to the empire, to, to Julius Caesar and Rome. Now you can live the way you want. And now this mindset is infiltrating the church where they're thinking, right, we could just live however we want. And Paul is saying here, with tears, in verse 18, now even with tears I tell you, their end is destruction. They're enemies of the cross. He's warning the people in the church to not set their eyes on the earthly things. And it's a warning that he gives to us as well. You know, what are the things, the earthly things that distract us from pursuing knowing Jesus Christ fully and becoming like him? You know, what are the things that are right in front of us the things that tell us this is urgent, this is important, this is the earthly things that you have to take care of right now that distract us from pursuing Jesus in his word, from praying, from turning to him and seeking him out, 
What are the things that distract us, the earthly things that take us away from this heavenly focus? Or what are the sins in our lives that prevent us from imitating Jesus Christ, from becoming more and more like him? What are the earthly struggles and temptations that we face that deter us from wanting to become more and more like Jesus Christ? This is a question that I pose to all of us to consider. Because there's so many things in this life that keep us from setting our eyes on the heavenly things. right? And so Paul, finally, in conclusion, he sums it all up and he gives them this final encouragement. He says this in verse 20 and 21. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Because I understand that it's very difficult in this life. To, you know, it's very easy to set your eyes on the earthly things. But I want to encourage you with two things. Your identity, who you are, and the promise that you have. And your identity, first and foremost, is that you are a citizen of heaven. That you are no longer a citizen of this earth where you have to now obey its laws and its desires and the way they do things and its cravings. But you're no longer a part of this world. You are now a citizen of heaven with its own desires, with its own cravings, with its own uh, ways to follow after Christ. He says, understand who you are now. You've left being a citizen of this earth, and you are now a citizen of heaven. This is who you are now as a believer in Christ. So live like it. Know who you are. And secondly, who will transform your lowly bodies to be like his glorious body? Know what the promise is, that no matter how much you struggle here today, even if every day you're falling into the same sin over and over and over again, even to know that you're facing hardships and obstacles over and over and over again, every single day, know what the promise is. And the promise is that God will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That we will have that moment when Christ returns where our bodies will be perfected. That we will no longer struggle with sin. That we will fully desire Jesus Christ. That we will worship him fully without distraction. That it will be the culmination of our marriage with him. He says to pursue these things. If I could summarize what he means in these two verses to conclude is this. The exhortation is for us not to be short-sighted says, do not be short-sighted. You know, for those of you guys who have kids, if you saw a kid just eating candy because that's all they wanted to eat, you would say that's very short-sighted, right? They're not understanding the long-term effects, right? They need to eat something healthier in order for them to, you know, live longer, right? It's very short-sighted for just to have that instant gratification of candy. If you saw someone who was trying to take a job uh, because it was higher paying, but it was not setting themselves up for the future for promotions, which would help them later on, you would say, that's very short-sighted of you. Uh, If you saw someone pursuing someone because, oh, this person is so good-looking, that's very short-sighted because good looks only last for so long, right? The call for us here is to not be short-sighted, to not look at just the earthly things and say, wow, that's really great, I'm going to pursue it. But to understand who we are as citizens of heaven, promises that we have awaiting us, and to be eternally sighted, to think in the eternity that we have with God, that this moment is just 
a short fragment of what we have, but to set our minds on the heavenly things. I want to close with these final two verses that Apostle Paul shares with us in Colossians. It says this, Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. This was something that Paul spoke to us in Philippians, and now we see in Colossians. This was his one pursuit, to know Jesus Christ and to become like him, to love, care, to share who he was in all that he was. This was his one pursuit. And so I highly call us, as he calls us, to pursue these things and to make this our heavenly pursuit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to take this time to confess that we have at times been bombarded by uh, what's in front of us, these earthly things, and many times we've fallen into the sins or the temptations or whatever's urgent, and we've it's taken our focus off knowing you and pursuing to become like you in all that we do. Lord, we want to take some time to just confess that and repent and to receive your forgiveness through the work of Christ. And Lord, we just ask today that you would give us a singular heart and mind that the Holy Spirit would encourage us and empower us to guide us daily, reminding us what it means to know Jesus fully and to become like him. God, I pray for our church that we would be a people that when people see us, that all they see is a group of people pursuing Jesus Christ at its core in all that we do. Thank you for your love in our life. Thank you for the high calling you've given us here today. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray.